Good morning again. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just to reiterate uh, something about AJ. AJ is, he's an amazing man, and I promise you will be richly blessed um, by our time with him next Sunday night. And uh, again, if he wrote a book called After Doubt, and he basically, the book was written based on some experiences he had as a pastor in Portland, wrestling with people who were deconstructing their faith, but not really understanding what it looked like to put it back together again. And AJ really has a heart for the church, a a heart to help people learn to keep their eyes on Jesus and actually know how to anchor their faith in Jesus so they don't lose it. And so um, if, if you're somebody that has waffled back and forth and just struggled with doubt, or maybe you're somebody that's kind of deconstructing at the moment, I know that's kind of a hot topic right now, or maybe you're somebody who is walking with somebody who is going through that process, next Sunday night will be a real blessing for you, and it won't just be all somebody talking at you, it'll actually be some opportunities for some question and response, and um, to talk to AJ about some of those things, ask your questions, and um, wrestle through some of that, and so anyway, sign up online, and uh, do that as soon as you can, because the spots really are limited, because we're doing it at our building on 7th and Wallace, so Uh, This morning, it is going to look a little bit different, so just to kind of preface the gathering for you this morning, I'm going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know we've been talking through the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I had originally hoped that this morning we would be talking through the power gifts, but I'm actually going to push that off till next week, and we're going to talk through some of those gifts next Sunday uh, for a multitude of reasons. But this morning, I really wanted to just spend our time at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking through a section of 1 Corinthians 12 that we haven't really spent much time on in the last two months as we've been talking through the gifts of the Spirit. So the last number of weeks, you guys know, we've been going through a series mainly through 1 Corinthians 12 um, and talking through the gifts of the Spirit and exploring these spiritual gifts, trying to help us figure out what are the gifts that God has given us? What do these gifts look like? How do they pan out in the church today? But six weeks ago, the, the definition I had kind of given for spiritual gifts to help us understand this was one that I pulled from a book. And he said, spiritual gifts are capacities or abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity in order to serve other believers to the glory of God. And that's kind of the definition of Roman. That is the, the purpose of the spiritual gifts. Um, more than us exploring these gifts, though, in the last few weeks and talking about them, the main reason that we really wanted to dive in and talk through the spiritual gifts is because I really hope that we're actually praying to see these gifts activated and released in our community of faith, within our church, amongst one another. And the amazing thing is, is that I actually believe that that's started to happen. I've had some really neat conversations with people in the last month who, as they've been processing these things, are either developing some new understandings for maybe the gifts that God's given them, or actually beginning to ask God for those gifts, or actually beginning to trying to iron out what it looks like to function in those gifts, like how do we use them, and they're seeking the Lord for those things. I mean, that's All we could ask for in our time studying this is that we become a church that begins to desire and seek Jesus to ask him how he's built us, what are the gifts he's given us, how we begin to use those to build up the body of Christ. And so, again, I'd hope to wrap up the power gifts this morning, but we'll push that to next week, um, and we'll just spend our time in the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So, last week, 
if you guys were with us at the park, I talked about contentment. And at the core of our discontent uh, lies this desire in us to compare ourselves to the people around us. So without a doubt, we live in this day and age where competition and comparison is everywhere, isn't it? Like everywhere you turn, like life seems to be about comparison and competition. Every day we're literally bombarded with people and images and opportunities to compare ourselves to other people, to their lives. And there's no shortage of this. And so we often just sit there and we, we, we try to figure out if we measure up to what other people are displaying for us. And we do this naturally. However, this innate desire within us to compare has actually been extremely heightened through things like social media, where you know now people can put their best face forward on social media and give us one more thing that we're trying to compare ourselves or, or trying to live up to. And so we see endless images, right, of people's clothes, um, places they're going, experiencing experiences that they're having, and the amazing way that they're parenting their kids, right? Or maybe they're grandparenting their, their grandkids or the careers that we have. And then we look at our lives and as we reflect on our personal lives, like something just doesn't seem to add up for us as we see that in light of other people. And so often <laughs> we start to feel a bit of anxiety, we feel discontent, we feel like a restlessness, we start to discover that our lives don't look like the people around us, and so our tendency is to begin to pursue those things, to go after the things that other people are doing, to try to keep up, and so must, most of the time, we're just compulsively living into this vision of the good life that we believe that those things that we're chasing after will actually bring us. And it's when we enter into this way of thinking that, that the world we find ourselves in uh, of like where every achievement, every purchase, every experience just becomes this other, another opportunity for us to prove that we matter, to prove that we're as valuable as, or as significant as the other people we see on there and those that are around us. Honestly, um, I, I understand that wrestling. I spent a lot of my life in this rat race trying to accomplish, a lot of my life, trying to figure out how to keep up, how to do. And oftentimes there's been seasons of my life where I try to live up to or prove myself uh, in terms that somebody else has defined for me. Like trying to be what they want me to be, trying to be what they hoped I would be. And it's not always a bad thing, right? This is how we're wired. It's something that psychologists call um, mimesis, which is basically mimicking, right? So we learn much of what we do from other people, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But that natural inclination in each of us, it would seem, sort of joins together with this deeper brokenness within us. And when that natural inclination and then that deep brokenness within us begins to come together, it's really when it starts wreaking havoc on our hearts, on our souls. And so because of that, rather than being able to love others freely and to humbly serve others, we now view others as either an idol or a threat or a hindrance to us. It starts to cause division within the church, and this gets really dangerous, and it gets also problematic when you get into church situations like this with a bunch, <coughs> sorry, with a bunch of different people, all of us here, all of us together, 
and we start to pursue spiritual gifts. And we receive them, and we begin to look at them, and they become another opportunity to sort of solidify our place in the world and solidify our place in this community of faith based on the spiritual gifts that we have. And so spiritual gifts, rather than becoming like an opportunity to build up each other in the body, as we'll see in a second, spiritual gifts have this, this, this tendency sometimes to become another opportunity to build ourselves up to make it about us, like what we have. And this is the danger, this is the problem that, that Paul was addressing in the church of, in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. And so <clears throat> when Paul gets to what we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, he actually begins to address this issue. And he brings a bit of correction. And in it, we're gonna learn that for us to be everything that we're called to be as God's people, we need to first understand one primary thing. And hear this this morning, that that your value is not determined by your spiritual gifting. Your value is not determined by your spiritual gifting. And here's what I mean. Here's how Paul breaks this down. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is how Paul opens it up. So Paul begins this section, and he brings up this image of a body, like Christ's body. When we talk about the church, we refer to the church as Christ's body. We are the body of Christ. And the body has many members, like all working together, and he's trying to paint this picture of unity, how all the members of the body begin to work together to edify, to build up the body of Christ. And so the fact that all these different little pieces and their uniqueness all come together to form something that's cohesive, something that's meant to work together, like it's an amazing thing. It's a miracle that that happens. And so he's trying to to get present, this idea of oneness, like of unity. And and this is the foundation that he's going to build on for the rest of this passage. He's trying to get at the fact that they're meant to be one. And the basis for his argument is that we've all been baptized by, by the same spirit. We've all been saved by the same Christ. And now there's no need for divisions within the church. At least there shouldn't be. And, and there's this calling, this higher calling to unity because the problem for the church in Corinth was this. As they started to see spiritual gifts empowering people in the church, these manifestations of the Spirit became another opportunity for division because they actually started to see these gifts and they began to categorize them in lesser and greater gifts. There's some that are greater, some that are lesser. And so as they begin to categorize these gifts, they begin to create division in the church between people who are gifted by God for the purpose of unity, for love, to build the body up. But now it's creating this chasm. And so they they begin to honor and esteem certain gifts that seemed more important and more powerful. And then there's these these other ones over here that that maybe they didn't want as much, like gifts that were like, ah, don't don't give me that. Give me prophecy. Give me miracles. Like, give me these power gifts. Give me healing. Don't give me administration, you know? Don't don't give me what in their eyes they, they they were categorizing as maybe a lesser gift. 
And so you have this division starting to take place in the church and this competition between individuals within the church. And Paul's first word to that community is to remember that you're to be the image of a body, all working together, none of them neglected or forgotten, working together in unity. And the basis for that, as he says, is their baptism by the same spirit into the same body. And so his point is that you already have a place, you already have value in the community of faith, in this family, and so you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to figure out whether or not you're in the higher class or the lower class, where it is you fall on the spectrum or the continuum of the spiritual gifts. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to figure out whether or not you're, again, in the higher class or or lower class. There's no class or hierarchy when it comes to the family of God, we're one. And so what Paul's trying to get at is this, that your value is not determined by your gifting. Your value is not determined by your gifting. Your significance in your place in the family of God is not determined by the spiritual gifts that you either have or do not have. And and this starts to make more sense as you begin to apply it, which is what Paul does. So Paul takes this idea and he applies it to two groups of people throughout the rest of this passage. If you look at the first group here in verses 14 through 16, it says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Paul gets into this funny, this funny parallel between the body and different parts of the body. And if you're an ear, don't try to be a hand, right? Like how awkward is that if the ear is trying to do what the hand does? And how awkward is it if the hand is trying to hear or the hand is trying to see? Like don't get into this confusion. Like be who it is that you are. All the gifts have to work together in order to glorify Christ, to bring unity to the body, to edify the body. And so in this section, Paul highlights this group of people who when they're in the community like this, in the community of faith, in the church, and they see their gifts and they begin to see the gifts of other people, they begin to actually envy the gifts that those people have over their own gifts. Like, whoa, you see what that guy has or what that woman has? Like, I wish I had what they have. All I have is this. And so they're looking around and thinking, man, I don't have the gift that that person has, or, or my gift doesn't put me on a stage, or like no one even really knows about the gifts that I have. They never see them on display. Maybe I don't matter as much. Maybe I'm not as valuable to people or to the community of faith. And so they're just sitting there wishing like, man, I wish I had those gifts. Then I would be something if I had what that person had. And this sort of highlights this temptation with spiritual gifts to just turn them into another arena or or another metric of comparison, like uh, another metric we use to try to figure out our place in the world, which is so unhealthy when this happens in the body of Christ. And so when this happens, when we begin to like look at other people and desire the gifts that they have and maybe the ones we don't, it begins to wreak havoc on our souls because we allow comparison and division and discontent to settle in the church. And so we just sit there just wanting those gifts. And this is what leads us to what Paul's trying to get at, which is that we just sit there in envy, wishing we had something other than what it is that God gave us. 
And it often will lead us to neglect or maybe even despise the gift that God has actually given you, which is a treasure. It is an honor and a privilege to have the gifts that God has given you. But when this happens, it leads to a failure to see God working through us in the way that God desires to work in you. And so it limits us from being able to contribute to the body of Christ. We can't use the gift because all we care about is wanting what somebody else has and not being content with the gift that God's given us, realizing that in order for the church to function properly, we need the hands and the ears and the eyes and the feet. Like We need the whole body working together. And if we aren't all pulling together, if we're not all working together as Christ intended, the church becomes handicapped. It doesn't work as God intended because he never intended it to be a hierarchy. It was all of us pulling together, working together. Some of you, maybe you've literally been despising what it is that God's called you to, despising the gift that God has given you, which in his eyes is a treasure and a gift that he's given you, something that he wants you to unpack and begin to utilize in your life. To be radically honest, like I've struggled with this in my own life. And even in the last six six weeks as we've talked more about this, It causes me to remember back on seasons, times in my life, when I've witnessed various leaders in action. Whether I've been at this gathering, that gathering, or a conference, or something like that, and you begin to watch somebody functioning in the gift that God's given them, and you begin to sit there and be like, I want that. Like, how how do I possess that gift? Like, I've been in situations where I've watched God use people powerfully, whether that would be even healing or prophecy or watch God really move through somebody, watch the Holy Spirit really work through somebody to impact lives and and watch transformation begin to happen in people's lives, even while we're sitting in a room, and you're like, that's so amazing, God, can I have that? Like, I want that. And then it leads you to a place of beginning to really analyze, like, well, is the gift that I have that good? Because I don't do those things, and why can't I do those things, God? Well, maybe I should try harder to do the things that that person's doing instead of be content with the gifts that God has given me. That's just honestly how it's played out in my life over the years in ministry, where you begin to go like, what, what are my gifts, and am I content with the ones that God's given me or the one that he's given me, or am I always gonna be striving to have what somebody else has even within the church. Like last week we talked about contentment, mainly in light of the things outside of the church, but what happens with regards to spiritual gifts when this discontent comes into the church through the form of spiritual gifts that God intended to build up and to unite and enhance the church as they function together. And so Paul's word for us this morning that we need to hear is that He's trying to bring our attention back to what God desires to do in each of our lives, which means we have to take our eyes off of the spiritual gifts of other people and bring our eyes back to God and our relationship with him and the way that he's gifted us and the way that he longs to work through each and every one of us. And we can rest in that and we can find contentment in that because if it's really true, as Paul says, that we are already valuable and that we're already loved, that our place in God's family is actually secure and that we can rest in that, 
then we're freed up to do whatever it is that God's calling us to do, regardless of the gift that we have, regardless of our perceived importance, regardless of our value, our perceived value, our perceived significance. And this is really Paul's second point here, that since your gifting doesn't determine your value, that you and I are freed up to embrace the gifts that we actually do possess. We're, we're, we're freed up to simply embrace the gifts that we have with contentment, with humility, with understanding that those gifts that God has wisely given us, and it's in finding contentment with these gifts that we've been given where we can stop envying the way that God is working through other people. And we can see him start to work through us instead, but it takes us having to move our eyes off of other people all the time, and instead of thinking of ourselves so highly, we can humbly do what one author says, which is embrace obscurity. The author says it like this. That's what embracing obscurity is all about, being content with being relatively unknown so that Christ can be made more known. Being content with being unknown, or with being content with being relatively unknown so that Christ can be made more known. And that can happen if we stop envying the gifts of others and learn to embrace the gifts that we've been given. So when it comes to our spiritual gifts, when it comes to our pursuit of these gifts, can we do that? Like, can we honestly do that? Can we embrace being relatively unknown so that Christ can be made more known? Because Paul's hope is that we would embrace with gratitude and love the actual gifts that we've been given and exercise and steward them to the glory of God for the good of others so that the entire body, the entire church community together can actually be loved, cared for, built up, sent out on a mission in this city. This is the call for us as we pursue these gifts to work together. Now Paul doesn't just talk to a group of people that are envying their gifts. He then turns his attention to another group of people, a second group that he also wants us to apply to in verses 20 through 22. It says, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So in in this section, we're sort of introduced to this second group of people now that Paul's gonna address. Maybe on the other end of the spectrum, right? You have one group that are envying the gifts of others and discounting the gifts of their own. And then you have this other group that's boasting in the gifts that they've been given and looking down on, the, uh, on others that don't have the gifts that they do. Because these people in their minds have the real gifts. Like they're, they're on, on the upper echelon, right? They have these gifts and then there's those with those gifts and they look down on them. And, and these are the ones that really matter. And so they're wearing them like an expensive piece of clothing. They proudly wanna show their status to the community and the world and they're looking down at the people who metaphorically can't afford such things. And so you have this division that's beginning to take place. And as they look down on these people, they're thinking, well, why would we even need them? Like, they they don't have what we have, right? They don't look like us. They don't have these gifts. Let's just remove them. We have the real gifts or the ones that are actually really important. And so just like clothes in our culture, the gifts are being used to then begin to create division. 
And this idea of us versus them which should not exist in the church. It's like watching high school cliques form all over again, but within the body of Christ. And then it's out of this sort of, this loving sort of frustration that he writes to them and he rebukes them and he tries to correct what's happening. In verse 22 he says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He's trying to say, don't you see, like every gift is necessary, every gift is important, no matter how small you think it might be, how dare you use this as some sort of an opportunity to lord your gift or yourself over other people and separate yourself from the family of God because in Paul's mind, every person is a part of the body and every person is meant to contribute to that body. No one person is more important than the other. No matter how much this particular group of people wants that, that lie to be true, but yet they're behaving like the disciples did in Luke chapter nine, right? When they're all sitting around and they're asking Jesus, who's greater? Like they're telling Jesus, I know we're all equal, but really Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like I know we're all equal, but, but somebody's gotta be greater. There has to be somebody that's on top, Jesus. And Jesus looks at the disciples and what does Jesus say? The one among you who's the least is the one who's great, is what Jesus says to them. How interesting. You want this, but actually it's the one that's the least, that's the greatest. He flips the whole thing on its head. And in that, he's making the statement about the fact that there's no competition or comparison in the kingdom of God. Like, God does not view it like that. That there's no room for it, like there can't be. And so Paul is trying to bring this similar message here to try to say that all of us are a part of the body and no one part is greater than another no matter how much we maybe want that to be true. Like we've all been baptized by the same spirit, he says, into the same body, placed there to play our part. So stop worrying about who's lesser, stop worrying about who's greater, stop putting your eyes on everybody else, focus more on yourself and the way that God has wired you and the way that he's calling you into this moment right now and take a step out and be obedient to what God is calling you to do, right, not somebody else. And then you see Paul's third point here, he says that because of our value, because our value is not determined by our gifting, that, that we can not only embrace our gifts with contentment, but we can embrace the gifts of others. We can celebrate the unique gifting of everybody else around us. We have to be a church that embraces the gifting of everybody around us. This whole thing is all about God, isn't it? We say all about Jesus a lot, but it's all about him. And yet we begin to put ourselves in places where we really begin to make it more about us. And this is where Paul goes. He reminds them and us in verse 27 and 30 and verse 18 that every gift is valuable. Every person with that gift is valuable because God in his sovereign wisdom chose and arranged and apportioned every one of those gifts with a, perfect, with a purpose, with intentionality, that every person with a particular gift mix in this particular church can be used for the good of the body of Christ. So in that, once again, the, the pride and the love of self with which we tend to approach the spiritual gifts has to die. It has to die in us. It has to die, we have to let it go because our value is not tied to our spiritual gifts. It's not a question of who's lesser and who's greater. 
And it can't be because you didn't actually pick your spiritual gift, did you? The Lord selected that for you. So we need to be able as a church to sort of let that go, to not make it about us, and to actually hold with, with contentment and humility the gifts that we've been given. And, and, and if that's you, and you're in that place of envying the gifts of somebody else, wishing that you had something else, then you need to hear this this morning, two things. Your gifting is not a punishment in any way, and your gifting also was not an accident. It was very intentionally given to you. You've been given specific spiritual gifts for a reason, for the good of this community, so that you would be a blessing to this community of faith as God begins to work through you, and it's it's a very intentional, uh, it's very intentional on the part of God and the gifts that you've been given. And, and for all of us, when we learn to be humble and we recognize that every gift is given for the sake of the building up of others, then we can both embrace the gifts that we've been given and we can become a church that embraces the gifts that God has given others. Simply because we know that their purpose isn't to mark our status or our place in this world. That's not the purpose of the gifts, right? but to mark us as a people who actually embody the love of God. That's the point of the spiritual gifts. And so we significantly distort the gifts of God when we use them for something else. But this is where Paul goes as he ends this chapter and he transitions to the next. Verse 31, listen to this. At the very end of this, (coughs) he says this phrase, actually two of them. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Has anybody ever read that before and wondered like, what the heck is that still more excellent way? Especially in light of the fact that he's been talking about the fact that the gifts are all equal. And then he says, but desire the higher gifts. Like what are the higher gifts? The more excellent way. And so in that, here's a question for you guys this morning. What's the higher gift? Because if Paul just finished talking about the fact that there isn't really a hierarchy of gifts, and so what's the higher gift and what's the more excellent way, we know that it can't be to pursue a gift to have it be on top, right? The hierarchy of gifts. It can't be to pursue gifts that make you more important, that make people know you and know who you are. It can't be that. So what is it? Well, what's the entire next chapter in 1 Corinthians 12 about? Help me out here. Two weeks ago, our elders talked about it. Love. The entire next chapter is about love, right? He takes this entire chapter to now talk about the way of love, the the love that doesn't envy and a love that doesn't boast, a love that's patient and kind. And so for Paul, it's really interesting. Like I've done tons of weddings and I always use 1 Corinthians 13 in the weddings that I do. But the more you spend time in 1 Corinthians 13, you begin to wonder like, Why do we use that at weddings when what Paul is referencing is actually spiritual gifts, like the purpose of the gifts to be utilized in love? Like if they're not acted out in love, if they're not utilized in love, then what's the purpose of the gift to begin with if they're not displaying the love of God? And so for Paul, the higher gifts, as he's kind of referring to them there, are the gifts that result in love for others above all else. The gifts that result in a love for others. And so what we see from Paul here, (laughs) and his last point in this part of the text, 
is that we're to pursue gifts that result in the building up of others, not ourselves. That we're to pursue spiritual gifts that lead to the building up of others and not ourselves. And that these gifts are to lead to love, that they're examples of love, like a deep, profound, God-centered, God-derived love. That's the purpose of the gift. And this kind of love, as always, is meant to flow outward, right? It's meant to go outward. And so are the spiritual gifts. They're meant to flow outward. It's the same thing. It's just like the fruit of the Spirit. They're not meant for our good. They're meant for the good of others. And so it's the same thing here. So if that's really true, then we can stop wondering about whether or not our gift is putting us in the right place, our gift is putting us in the right position or status or significance or value. That's the wrong metric for us to be using. And so we're thinking about the wrong things. If the gifts that we've been given as we exercise them are leading to the building up of the body and loving others, then they're great in the eyes of God. And if that's what's taking place, then the gifts that you've been given are an amazing gift to the body of Christ that God has intentionally and wisely given to you for everyone else. Because for the body to be everything that it's meant to be, we need to hear this message and pursue the gifts with a heart of love rather than a heart of selfish ambition that seeks us. And so what this means is that there's gonna be some of us in this room right now who are actually gonna be be able to embrace the obscurity of it all with contentment so that others can come to know Jesus and built up, be built up. And for others of you, this is gonna mean that we need to learn from what it means to hold with humility and integrity these positions of greater visibility because of the gifts that we've been given. And so also that, the, uh, that others, the outward, can actually experience the love of God and the tra- his transforming work in their lives. And we need every person with every gift they've been given exercising that gift with humility and love and with contentment. That humility piece is really gonna be the key in this for us. Like it, it's gonna take the kind of humility that only comes out of the assurance uh, of the declared identity that we all are sons and daughters of God, amen? It's the kind of humility that Jesus in John 13 has as he kneels down into the dirt to wash the disciples' feet. And he gave us this example of what it looks like to love and to serve others. He kneels down to do that. And then he says to his disciples, he says, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the excellent way that Paul's referring to. This is it. And this is what spiritual gifts are meant to be about, reflecting the image of the son, the one who humbled himself to not only serve the people that he loves, but to come and die for us, right? This is some of what I've been praying for us this last week, and I'll end with this. My prayers for us as a church have been this, that the Lord would identify the gifts that he's given us. That's his responsibility to do for you. That the Lord would activate, that he would release those gifts in us and through us. That we would be a church that begins to use these gifts and not just sit on them, but use them. Like, ask the Lord for opportunities to use them. That that you, who sit in this room, that that may call Anthem Coeur d'Alene your home church, would continually be asking the Lord how it is he desires for you 
to serve his church. We're servants, right? We, we are not on this earth to be served, but we're on this earth to serve. In the same way that Jesus came and said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Jesus did not view his life through the metrics of how others could serve him, but always sought his father for ways that he could serve others. It was all about how he could give of his life to others. This is your honor and your privilege, honestly, to not be idle. Like, I was so convicted this week as I was praying to the Lord for ways that we could stir up our church. Like, God, how do, how do we stir up the church, that the gifts of God would be stirred up? How do we activate these things in the church? How do we see people revived and engaging the church with their gifts, laying down the lie of consumerism in the church and beginning to pick up the gifts God has given them and begin to serve one another. Like, how does this happen? And I was literally praying to the Lord and just sensed the Lord say, Chris, who builds the church? I'm like, you do. Lord, you do. And then I could sense him saying, then let me awaken the idol. That's not your job. Because I love these people far more than you do. My job isn't to come up here and to do the kind of Holy Spirit rah-rah show and get you guys excited about Jesus. My job is point, to point you to the still more excellent way. That it's only found in Christ. My job is to encourage you to go for it, to stop sitting idly by to run after Jesus, to stop waiting for him to do for you and start seeing the ways that he has asked you to begin to do for others. That, that in doing for others, it will be as if you are doing to him, is what he says. In a moment, we're gonna take some time to pray together. And I'm gonna divide you up into groups of five or six. But before we do that, I want us to do one other thing because I think it's important for us to have a bit more of a tangible picture of what this looks like as we've talked about the unity in the body of Christ and all of us coming together to use the gifts that God has given us. And so I'm gonna invite all of you to stand up with me. <laughs> and as you can see, we aren't doing any music today, right? There's no musicians or no worship. But I thought it would be cool to sing something together called the doxology. How many of you guys know what the doxology is? Those of you that have been around church for a while, you know the doxology. For those of you that don't know it, we're gonna put it on the screen behind you. And we're gonna sing this together. And, and here's the thing is that I could just ask one of our gifted singers, Josh, come up here. Um, we want you to sing the doxology for us and we want to listen to your amazing voice and you know, lead us in a time of worship as we sing this, and we're just all gonna sit around and watch you sing it. Um, but instead, what I want Josh to do is come up here, and I want him to guide us in this song, but I want him to slip out into the background, because I want the voice of the church to increase. I wanna hear you guys singing this to Jesus, because the perfect picture in this is not that Chris or Josh can come up here and lead you guys and show you what to do. The purpose is that we begin to see each other as a unified bunch in the body of Christ working together for the body.
And so it's about all of you contributing. And there's nothing cooler than listening to the body of Christ singing to Jesus without any instruments, just their voices, good and bad, right? Um, singing in unison together towards Christ. And so I'm gonna have Josh come up here and he's gonna start, kick it off. Um, the lyrics are, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so I'm gonna have Josh lead us and we're gonna sing together. <laughs> 